1: Good evening and welcome. Welcome on back to wake up with Randy Corcoran. I'm Randy Corcoran. Good to have you along our phone number 303-696-1971, 696-1971. And as you know, we are your itsy bitsy teensy weensy Saturday evening show where we are unafraid to tell tough truths to take on the corrupt coordinated Democrat controlled media machine to go round and round with anyone who is willing. And I gotta tell you, there aren't too many out there for some strange reason. But one of the things we like to do here is talk about the untouchable things. And if you, like me, are unafraid to talk about stolen elections and what happened in 2020 and what happened in Maricopa County in 2022, you are going to want to stick around for at least the very first hour of this show because coming up here at about five twenty five, we will be speaking with a good friend of mine, Garland Favorito. He is the co founder of Voter GA. The GA stands for Georgia, a lot of election shenanigans in Georgia. Voter GA is a nonpartisan nonprofit organization and it's led an election integrity movement in Georgia gosh since twenty sixteen. So, um, you know, it didn't just pop into existence because some crazy people somehow thought there was, oh, maybe a little something wrong with the 2020 election outcome. It's been doing this a very long time. And one of the things that they've been involved in literally for years is the curling the Raffensperger case out of Georgia. One of the co-founders of Voter GA, Ricardo Davis, is an original plaintiff in that case. It's been going on about six years. A full trial that lasted about two weeks in Georgia, started on January 9th, wrapped up a couple of weeks later. And the outcome of that, now we don't have a ruling from the judge. I did not personally attend. So we're going to have somebody on who has been deeply, deeply involved in uh, you know digging and digging and digging relentlessly we will get the history of how this case was like so many others originally dismissed but uh, by appeal and by persistence it managed to find its way back into uh, into court and actually had an evidentiary hearing did you know the U.S. District Court on October 11th in 2020, found the Dominion voting system that was used in the November 2020 election is unverifiable to the voter and in violation of two Georgia statutes. My understanding, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, I didn't see it for myself. My understanding is that a forensic expert hacked a Dominion voting machine right there on the witness stand, right there in the courtroom So we'll talk to somebody who was there every single minute of every single day. We'll direct you to places where you can uh, see the closing argument, slide presentation, and and see just detail after detail after detail of the evidence that was presented in that hearing. That should be a fascinating 20, 30, 40 minutes, however long we wind up taking uh, my good friend Garland Favorito. Really looking forward to doing that. Hoping, fingers still crossed, maybe a little extra prayer to God, that uh, sometime before the end of the show, we get at least 15, 20 minutes, maybe more, with another good friend of mine, Pastor Jeff Schwartzentraub. Schwartzentraub, I can never do his name. Jeff, I can't read my own writing either, but it's Jeff Schwartzentraub. I just call him Pastor Jeff. Is that easy enough to get there? Here it is. There is a Z in there. Not the way I spell it, but Jeff Schwartzentraub. But you may know him because he is the pastor of the Brave Church, started in a little strip mall, and now three massive locations. I think the church they're in that I attend with my daughter and, and some other family members from time to time is the old Cherry Hills Community Church. Or Yeah, Cherry Hills Community Church, so big, beautiful building, three campuses. Streams it live. He's just one of the most dynamic pastors that I've ever been around. And the way that I got to know him, and you know, we're not drinking buddies. I'm not saying that you drink, Jeff. I don't know if you do. But um, we, I, I, I created so much admiration in my own heart and my own mind for him back in the COVID shutdown era when I had the honor and the pleasure of representing Bandamere Speedway. And we kept them, those guys were fearless and stayed open throughout. 10,000 people coming to events. Oh, you're a super spreader. You're gonna get people killed. You've gotta be shut down. Uh, Two day court hearing that was watched by thousands of people online. It's when the Zoom hearings, the WebEx hearings started really being a thing. And interestingly, in a courtroom back in the height of COVID, in a courtroom where everybody was wearing masks, everybody in the audience, everybody on the on the prosecution side, um, the judge, as I recall, wore her mask at least off and on and off of the bench on to and then getting off of the bench. Um, Not John, John and not I. And I really handed it to this judge. She did not make a stink, as many judges did when I would make appearances for COVID-related cases. Uh, they would, you know, you'd, you'd be going to jail if you didn't slip that mask on, uh, but not during that trial. But my point is, with regard to Pastor Jeff, is that, uh, man, he showed up for Easter services outdoor at Bandamere Speedway. Thousands of people were there that day. I was so excited to sit with John Vandemere and uh, other family members that popped in and out for a beautiful outdoor Easter service at Bandamere Speedway when everybody, including churches, were allowing themselves to be shut down. And Pastor Jeff just brought his church and they set up a stage. And, of course, if you've been to Brave Church, you know that they they rock their Christian music. It's 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 not loud and overbearing. I've been in some mega churches where it's just it's it's more like sensory overload. They do it right. It, it's just beautiful, and it's you know modernized music, but nothing but praise and worship, and um, and they brought that outdoors to Bandemir, and so many people got baptized at the end of that Easter service. And I was just so proud to be a a small cog in that wheel that helped keep Bandemir open and, and, well, I guess I was their only lawyer. So legally, um, but it was their courage. It was their principles. It was their determination that they were going to continue to stand for the things that they believed in. And I watched Jeff at work and uh, have just always been so impressed. So we're hopeful and we're still working out details. Very, very busy. Of course, Saturdays are so hard for him because he's got two services to deliver tomorrow. And uh, and this guy, I mean, the preparation must be immense. Because if you ever watched him preach, it is a it's a thing to behold. Just motivational, inspirational, but also cut to the chase, straight out of the Bible. No messing around is something that I really really admire and is missing in so many churches so we're trying to get him on and if we do, we are going to talk about end times i uh I know and I didn't see these I know that he taught uh, a couple a couple of series on end times a couple of years ago that were well received and uh, very Of course, significant topic for any Bible believers who see what's going on in Israel and how even the United States under current Marxist demented showers with daughter Joe Biden leadership is turning against Israel. Very easy to believe that we are finally, um, you know, Bible time is not human time, but it, it sure feels like we're in a spiritual war and so be very interesting if we can get him on, he has promised to come on the show at one point or another, and we will hope it's tonight. Uh, when we were texting earlier, it was looking pretty darn good. So and many of you asked last week, I know it seems like hosts are dropping like flies around here. George Brockler vacated his chair. He's now running for district attorney in the newest judicial district that we have. Uh, And we all, you know, I saw it coming. I'm sure many of you, if you're politically active, you knew that um, that that's that's what George does. And so when an opportunity came up like this, uh, I'm not surprised that he took it. And then I see from the texting, the text to studio today. Oh, and texts are already rolling in. But uh, from the text to studio that apparently Jimmy is leaving the show. So I, I think you guys who, you know, love the live and local around here are getting nervous and when I didn't show up last week after a you know, live promo that was running all day on Saturday and uh, and people texting me about things that might be worthy of talking about, and I fully planned to be here, people got nervous that thought, hey, they're just doing away with all the local hosts. I, I don't know that that's happening. I don't think so. And I certainly haven't had any um, indication that I can't come around, uh, at least for a little while longer. So, uh, But last week, man, it was that snowstorm. Because I was in Las Vegas, and uh, I flew out there a week before because, uh, you know, it was the Republican National Committee winter meeting. Uh, But I flew out early because Turning Point Action, the Charlie Kirk organization, had a pre-RNC conference called the RNC Summit, except instead of Republican National Committee, their RNC stands for Restoring national confidence and that was for two days in vegas before the rnc winter meeting and they only invited a few a select few of the rnc members to attend that and i was honored to be one of them and of course want to go and support the amazing uh, youth education and motivation and training and political action that is going on there at turning point action Um, so got out there and it was a, it was a a fascinating week. I mean, a lot of tension on the RNC calls for Ronna McDaniel's resignation. We've heard and seen reports that she will be submitting her resignation after, perhaps after the South Carolina primary is over reports that Donald Trump has talked to her and that uh, he believes changes are needed and all of those things. I'll tell you though, I got a letter and I was on a, um, radio interview a day no yesterday i think um in north carolina for a while on a on a, a major show out there where um apparently it's it's not a surprise to anybody but ronna mcdaniel has sent a letter out to the committee and it's obviously open to the public it's not a a private letter uh, saying that it's not true she's not leaving the rnc so who the heck knows but uh I was at the airport on time. My plane was scheduled to leave on time. And about an hour beforehand, they said, hmm, we're going to be about 15 minutes late. Things are starting to cloud up in Denver. Uh, And then by the time um, the storm, that massive storm hit last week, we were four hours delayed. So I got back to Denver, landed a little after four o'clock, no possible way. And I was so bummed because I had gotten audio ready. I didn't send it in when i realized i wasn't going to make the show had the bumper music in and and but there was just no way to get here and do a show last week so i think they played they replayed the show from the week before but that's all that was going on there uh we are carrying on and intend to do so here for a while anyway it's 5:19 already and because we do have garland favorito coming up i think we'll get to our break right now and uh uh, boy, you ought to stick around because what went on in a Georgia courtroom and obviously you have to wait on the judge and see what the judge does, but what has been learned about the so-called efforts of the secre- the Republican Secretary of State to promote some level of, inte- of election integrity in the state of Georgia is just pathetic. And I, we'll probably talk about this later, but uh, I know that, there was a letter that went out about Tina Peters from the Colorado State GOP. I have not read it. I know that there was a letter that went out from a bunch of uh, secretaries of state or clerks and recorders um, condemning the letter, I think, from the Colorado GOP. And if I get a chance, maybe on a long break, we'll I'll scan through those real quick. But the idea, I, I the idea that. You know, otherwise smart Republicans—not the—not the the old guard, not the the Dick Wadhams class of Republicans out there that uh, are just so bitter and angry—but you know, just genuine people who who want, who know that we're in deep trouble under Democrat control, and want to elect Republicans and want to have fair elections—are so gullible to believe that Colorado is some kind of gold standard. And that we don't have significant concerns, not only here in our state, but all around the country. But we'll find out what's going on with Georgia and the Rathensberger case when we're joined by my good friend Garland Favorito when we return here on 710 KNUS. Saturday night's all right for fighting. Welcome back. Wake up with Randy Corcoran, 710 US. 303-696-1971 is the phone number, 303-696-1971. So much to talk with you about tonight. Of course, we're going to spend some time talking about the spanking given to the state of Colorado and the poor lawyer trying to defend this horrific effort to deprive Colorado voters Of the choice to vote for President Donald J. Trump. We've got audio from the Secretary of State that is just delicious. And we're going to get into that and so much more. But as promised, as we went into the last break, my friend Garland Favorito has been working on election integrity since before it was cool. He's a co founder of Voter GA, the GA is for Georgia. And uh, man, oh man, this case that went to trial a couple of weeks ago is is something to behold. So Garland, welcome to Denver.
2: Randy, it's good to be with you again. It's been a while. It's great to
1: Always have. Yeah, it's great to have you back on the show, my friend. And and you have been really, really busy. Uh, getting this case back into court and these two weeks of trial and and all of the information you've provided about what went on there. But before we jump into all that, uh, let's give people who aren't familiar with Garland Favorito a little background. How did you get so incredibly involved in Georgia election security? And of course, uh, what goes wrong in Georgia tends to go wrong elsewhere.
2: Yeah, isn't that the truth? Well, I'm an IT guy. I'm a career IT guy. I've done a lot of different things uh, over my career: computer programs, systems analysis, data administration, systems development methodology, and I've I've got a, uh, I've got a background um, in, in all of that. Um, and um, I got in there about I guess it was 20 um, I guess it was 2002 um, when uh, Georgia bought its first system. And it was a paperless system, the old touchscreens, direct recording, electronic voting systems. And they uh, were completely unverifiable to the voter. They were not auditable. Uh, They couldn't recount a race. They just reprinted the previous unverifiable results. So um, being an IT guy, I wrote to the Assistant Secretary of State and the evaluators when they were still looking at them and hadn't even purchased them yet, and I said, I think this system is—it um, might be unconstitutional because it's unverifiable to the voter. So that was back in 2002, uh, and um, they ignored me and many other folks who said made similar comments back then, and bought this system. Uh, so uh, we filed, uh, formed Voter GA back in 2006 to challenge that system. Uh, in, in the state courts, and we went all the way to Georgia Supreme Court and lost. Uh, the uh, the Supreme Court ruled against us. And then fast forward uh, to this Curling v. Ravensburger case all the way up to 2019, and uh, the Judge Totenberg there ruled that, in fact, the system was uh, unconstitutional or constitutionally deficient, and she banned it for, from future use for federal elections. So, basically, proving what I had said 17 years earlier was actually correct. So,
1: Dominion so voting, Dominion voting machines are no longer constitutionally usable in Georgia in federal elections that occur in Georgia. Is that accurate?
2: Well, no, not that. Not, not the Dominion system. That okay, was, that that just brought us up to date. Um, to the that was the old Debo system.
1: Got it. Okay.
2: So now, then, after that happened, then the Secretary of State um, purchased this new Dominion Democracy Suite 5.5 system, or at least that was, you would think it was new at the time, I, that's, but that's a different story. Um, so that system was uh, almost as bad as the old one. They put in what they call a paper trail, but it's a QR coded voting system. So the votes are in a QR code that the voter can't verify. So it's equally as unverifiable to the voter as the old system. Now, the Secretary of State was warned about buying this. I personally warned him before he ever became Secretary of State, back when he was running in a primary, uh, in a runoff. uh, You know, I told him, you know, avoid QR-coded systems. You know, there are other systems out there. Uh, by all the vendors, you know, all, all the vendors have, have other systems that are more uh, verifiable than that one. But uh, basically, he ignored us, and now we went down the same path again. And and for the last four years of this suit, since 2019, the plaintiffs in this case um, are uh, seeking to declare the current BMD system uh, as constitutionally deficient, and that's basically what this case is about, um, are the po- components of it or all the system uh, constitutionally deficient? And do they warrant being banned uh, from, for future use in, in Georgia?
1: And what does BMD stand for again?
2: Oh, okay. So BMD, Georgia has ballot marking devices. I think Colorado has a similar, uh, they use similar um, systems. They had, a, I think, a different version of the Dominion system. Where
1: you mark I them think, on an iPad or whatever, an iPad yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, it's a touch thing. screen. Yeah, right,
2: right. It's a touch. It's a touch screen, and then it prints out a uh, what what they call we call it a selection summary. It's not really a full ballot, but it just shows you the votes you the vote the candidates you voted for, and it shows you yes or no on the referendum language, uh, but it doesn't print a full face ballot. Uh, now, I think Colorado has moved to a different version now that does that, um, but I'm not, I'm not sure if they've conducted an election on it yet or not.
1: Talking with Garland Favorito, co-founder of VoterGA, the website is voterga.org. You can find all kinds of fascinating information, transcripts from the two weeks of recent court hearings, summaries of evidence, slides from the closing presentation that was given, is it true, Garland, that a U.S. District Court found in October of 2020 that the Dominion voting system that was used in the November 2020 election was unverifiable to the voter and in violation of two Georgia statutes?
2: Yeah, that is absolutely true. That is exactly what Judge Totenberg found. Um, Georgia law requires uh, that the system produce an elective verifiable ballot. And she said because of this QR-coded system, it does not, uh, and that it's required to, um, to um, have print, make selections that are in human-readable text. So the actual selections are not in human-readable text. So they did, are in the QR code, and that's what's accumulated.
1: Did that cause any change in utilization of, of voting systems from the Secretary of State, Raffensperger?
2: It sure should have, but it didn't. They just flat ignored her, the legislature ignored her, the Secretary of State ignored her, um, and the judicial system has even uh, refused to recognize her findings, even though she has looked at the most comprehensive set of evidence ever presented in a Georgia election case. Uh, She was flat ignored um, to date.
1: And so what goes on in in Georgia when rulings like that come out how do the newspapers address it is she some kind of right wing republican appointee or or how how are they dismissing the uh, multitude of evidence that gets provided when these cases actually get to go to trial
2: Well basically it's selective reporting you know they they never they never actually print her findings and we have to uh, document those and distribute them throughout the state. Uh, unfortunately, many, many people in the state know it uh, from what we've been doing at Voter GA, not necessarily from what they uh, get in the newspaper, because I don't believe any newspaper has ever actually uh, printed that or any other news media, uh, you know, what I call the lamestream media.
1: Sure. Well, we call it around here the corrupt, coordinated, Democrat-controlled Mainstream media or the corrupt coordinated Democrat controlled lamestream media and a whole host of other things. Some of them we say on the breaks because they're not FCC compliant, but uh, it it is a lopsided thing. And thank God for social media and whatever doubts people have about, you know, Elon Musk and Twitter, uh, a wonderful platform for now, again, the ability to push back against the corrupt narratives that you know, infiltrate, especially infiltrated our society leading up to the 2020 election and since. Um, But man, it's an ongoing battle. It's just unbelievable. Is it true that Secretary of State, who is the named defendant in this case, Brad Raffensperger, refused to testify under oath about Georgia's elections?
2: Well, yeah, uh, Randy, that is absolutely true. And it's so ironic because you know, uh, this is a, a man who wrote a book entitled "Integrity Counts," um, and yet, and he he says, uh, you know, you watch what happens in court. That's where you, you have to testify under oath and tell the truth. And he writes this in his book, and then he refuses to testify, and even went to the Eleventh Circuit to get a decision uh, to that prevented him from testifying in this case. So
1: a judge actually told him that even though he's the named defendant and I assume he was named in his in his professional capacity, not in his personal capacity, but the sitting Secretary of State in a voting election case under subpoena, a court gave him immunity from showing up and testifying, is is that what happened?
2: Well, that's right. And the, the superior the uh US district court had ruled that he should testify because there were just too many conflicts Uh, in the various testimony that they had solicited. But he um, essentially appealed that uh, to the 11th Circuit, which is what, as you know, is called a mandamus. And the 11th Circuit upheld his mandamus and said that he uh, does not have to testify.
1: Now, I understand it was the Dominion ballot marking devices that were utilized in court. Uh, We'll talk maybe in the next segment about hacking those in open court, but did anyone from Dominion Voting Systems come in to testify about uh, the security of their systems?
2: No, Randy, and that is a fascinating point in itself. Uh, No one from Dominion testified about the security, and there was a lot of finger pointing going on um, as to who is responsible for cybersecurity in Secretary of State's office. The chief operating officer Gabriel Sterling said it was Michael Barnes the deputy director the deputy director says, I don't know anything about malware uh it was all handled by the chief technology officer Merritt Beaver Merritt Beaver says um uh I don't I didn't uh, don't do anything uh, about cybersecurity with Dominion uh it was outsourced and that's all under the responsibility of Gabriel Sterling the chief operating officer so, it was a three way circle of finger pointing. And the bottom line is uh, not only did Dominion uh, not show up, but there's no one in the Secretary of State's office who's responsible for cybersecurity. So, imagine going into the 2024 election on an electronic voting system and no one in the Secretary of State's office is responsible for cybersecurity. That alone would tell you. You, that they have, we have no business conducting an election on any kind of electronic voting equipment
1: all kinds of fascinating information at voterga.org voterga.org so you know i'm a trial lawyer so i understand presentation of evidence and and the opportunity to respond and and typically people who have you know nothing to hide or or want to have their day in court are are eager to show up there? How, how does it play out in court testimony that no one at the Georgia Secretary of State's office is taking responsibility for cybersecurity? Do well,
2: they- that's that's one of the biggest um, things. That re- It was actually a surprise to us. We thought that we knew where the individual was going to, to assume responsibility. He didn't. And when we started to ask this question, in fact, Ricardo Davis, um, who is the plaintiff of the case, when his attorney, David Alls, asked the chief technology officer, and he said, no, I'm not responsible for it. And you could hear the sighs and gaps all over the courtroom. Uh, everybody was shocked um, because they knew that no one was responsible for cybersecurity. Um, and that's one of the biggest issues. Uh, that, there, that there was in the entire trial is how do you secure the machines after they've been hacked? Or-
1: yeah, it, it's just absolutely phenomenal. Well, this thing went on for two weeks, so there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle. I'd uh, like to find out you know, when you may expect a ruling from the judge. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the issues that she is set to determine and all of those things. Is your time such that you can sit with us through a break so we can pick this up on the other side?
2: I've got all the time you need me for. Awesome.
1: Really enjoying our conversation with Garland Favorito. He stays with us. I hope you will, too. Wake up with Randy Corcoran here on 710 KNUS. And God, I know I'm one. Holy moly. All right. Welcome back. Wake up with Randy Corcoran. Good to have you here. Of course, waking up has nothing to do with the time of the day. It's all about getting your head out of the nether regions muscling up your courage, being willing to stand up in the face of things like stolen or at least unverifiable elections, the absolute spiritual warfare that seems to be going on across the social spectrum in our country. And uh, man, there's just so much to talk about. But we as citizens don't have the control that we're supposed to have in a constitutional republic. When we can't trust our elections. We're talking with Garland Favorito, He's the co-founder of Voter GA, longtime activist uh, who just sat through and participated in and has reported on a two-week trial in Georgia involving the secretary of state there. Fascinating, fascinating information that came up. Garland, a couple of things before we go back to the trial. When you talk about seeking trusted election results... You know, people like you and I, were, we're called election deniers uh, because we want just a few simple things. Uh, tell the folks what you're seeking to accomplish with your long-term work there in Georgia.
2: Well, um, Randy, just one of the things is that elections have to be transparent. So in order to have trust uh, and everybody trusts the results, they have to be transparent most states georgia in particular has all of its ballots sealed they have all their ballots sealed and you can never use them to verify the election results so no one ever knows who wins really that you know the uh, officials announce a winner but nobody can prove that the announced winner actually won uh, and i think that's by design Because if you could prove who actually won the race by making the ballots transparent and letting the public be able to verify them through open records requests and so on, then you wouldn't have all the divisiveness that's in America right now. And much of the divisiveness is because no one trusts the results of the election. You know, in the last couple of elections since 2020— It's been the Republicans who haven't trusted the results. Prior to that, it was the Democrats who uh, didn't trust the results. And both sides had um, good arguments for not trusting them. So one of the keys would be transparency. That's one of the keys to trust. So we are uh, actively seeking um, to have ballots made public record. Uh, But we also want to uh, unplug the system altogether uh, that's sort of our campaign theme, uh, because um, there are just too much um, there's just too many opportunities and for the system to be wirelessly accessed. Um, a lot of the systems are set up for that. Um, and they of course, they deny it. But when you actually get into these systems and do forensic exams, um, like the one that was done in Colorado uh, by Doug Gold, and the Mesa report too, Um, you see that the system was uh, um, set up to be wirelessly accessed in many different ways, not just one way, but the database, the um, firewalls, ports, and and, uh, all sorts of things uh, have to be all configured to allow that system to be uh, accessed remotely. So those are some of the issues that we are looking at, and we also want to have transparency in all of the back-end processes. Uh, Everything should be – whether it's signature verification or absentee ballot processing, whatever the case may be, um, that should be – that process should be transparent to the public.
1: Point of personal privilege, and then we'll get back to the uh, Rafsenberger case. The – I noticed, and I I know Dr. John Eastman and I are co-counsel on a case here in Colorado to uh, stop the open, the semi-open primary that uh, was passed through a ballot initiative, um, uh, what, seven, eight years ago now here in Colorado. And we were in hearing January 23rd and 24th, I think, seeking a preliminary injunction. Uh, And when I talked to John, when he got into town, he said he he had just come from Georgia. And so I understand he was there talking about how uh, propaganda and mass surveillance and disinformation have brought us to the point we're at in our, you know, once more civil-type society. Did you get a chance to see John at that presentation?
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, we sponsored that presentation. He stayed with us uh, one night so it was love to have ah, him um good. he's a, a i consider him to be a good friend. I testified for him for three days on the stand out in California at his bar, bar trial uh actually went three full days and uh yeah and it's a great presentation it's up on the VoterJ.org dot uh, org events tab and we uh wanted to do that for him and uh so that to help him raise some money uh because he has spent. Uh, upwards of, I think, something like three quarters of a million dollars, just trying to defend his bar license. Uh, it's unbelievable um, what the man has gone through. Um, it's just, um, it's beyond description. So yeah, definitely. We uh, uh, actually, I introduced him there at the presentation.
1: Oh well, I didn't know that. That's absolutely fantastic. The presentation was Orwellian Dystopia, 1984 comes to 2024. And, you know, th- there are people on the station who take shots at John and, uh, you know, they don't know him. And, and it's people get to have their opinions. Uh, at least we're supposed to be able to have them. But um, th- there's nobody I have ever met who has more. And he's been indicted uh, for s- simply giving advice to Donald Trump, one of the top constitutional scholars in the world who, you know, is having to defend his bar license in a trial that didn't that thing go almost two months or three months or something like that? It's it's lawfare at its worst.
2: Yeah, it, it really is, Randy. Um, I went out there and um, the first thing I noticed when I got on the stand, I turned around behind me the, uh, and there was two dozen six inch binders full of exhibits and and testimony. Uh, and. It's just unbelievable the amount of tax dollars that went into that. There's no way that uh the california attorney's uh bar fees could have covered uh the cost of that uh solely by by themselves so somebody is footing the bill for it, and of course it is basically political because the things that they're arguing about are really attorney client privilege you know the Attorney has the right to advise his client as he sees fit, as you know, uh, being an attorney. And um, I mean, it was just—it's just, it's just a, a political vendetta that they have against—you uh, know, not just him, but it's basically anyone who's connected with Trump. Um, you know, there is a, a, an effort to try to destroy uh, all those people, or at least inflict as much financial damage as possible. Uh, So it's just that was just uh, appalling to see that and to see the bias of the judge. Uh, When I was out there and I testified, uh, there were really the judge was asking me as many questions or more than the opposing counsel was. And she was continually trying to trap me. And it was pretty obvious. And I carefully avoided all of her traps. Uh, But it was disgusting to see that these, these judges in these cases are so biased that I mean she didn't even give the illusion of being impartial. That's how bad it was for John out there.
1: Well, I I tuned in uh periodically. I mean the thing literally lasted for months. I've never seen anything like it. But uh but you could hear the disdain in her voice and uh in going back reading some of the summaries of the day you'd you'd see these rulings against expert witnesses or relevant testimony that you just you had the it's just hard you know lawyers try to give judges the benefit of the doubt give each other the benefit of the doubt we all have to uh, you know try and honor our oaths and uh, and then take the positions whatever side of a case that we're on uh, but the the bias just seemed the disdain just seemed to drip from her and yet every time you're around john eastman that big smile always on to the next project, always thinking ahead, optimistic, brilliant, and amazing to spend time with him and especially to try a case with him. And so um, I I just love that you went out there and stood up for him the way you did. And I I wish more people could know him the way that you and I do.
2: Yeah, it was good for us because we got. Uh, that was the first time we got all of our evidence on the record yes. in a court case. Yes, and we had we had virtually every everything we had ever uh, uncovered. We put on the record out there, so uh, that was uh, exciting for for us. Uh, you know, he considers that a, a badge of honor uh, to do that. But I'll give you one example uh, that I thought was really strange. To kind of goes along with what you're saying, Randy. And that was when I, I was out there, I testified to three government documents, official government documents. One was from the governor, uh, a study of audit discrepancies. Another one was from the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, official report. And then a third one was, I think, from the state election board. And I testified about all those. So they admitted those to the, uh, to the record. And uh, I authenticated those, and the judge said she would accept them, but she's not. She didn't actually admit them into evidence. So, uh, and even though they were official government reports that were authenticated, then the opposing counsel shows me a social media post that I have never uh, seen before uh, and couldn't authenticate. And she admits that into evidence anyway. That's how incredibly biased and corrupt that whole hearing was.
1: And it went on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Just absolutely astonishing. But we're we're living in a time of warfare and lawfare as warfare. Democrats seem to have, of course, if they're in charge of the government, they've got unlimited tax dollars to throw at taking down a person or a business or whatever. And then politically, Democrats are always so much better funded than the Republicans who are trying to defend themselves or even sometimes go on the offensive. And uh, and yet, you know, when you're right, when you're standing on principles, uh, when you stay strong and organize and refuse to back down, uh, I still believe in the end of the day, at the end of the day, that truth will out.
2: Yeah, I do, too, Randy. That's why, uh, of course, I'm. We're fighting so hard here. Um I, the truth has got to prevail uh eventually and I think we're seeing that this year. Uh I'm I'm really convinced that um this all of this um uh corruption is just gonna uh, implode this year. Uh we're yeah. already seeing it. We are you know, Agreed. just in our in our trial we've gotten so much evidence on. We saw the Fonnie Willis thing Implode on her as she's got this $600,000 yeah. special prosecutor lover uh, who she's been running around with in Aruba. And uh, there's just. Hey, you know, Garland, we, we've got, down.
1: We got the music in the background. We're at the top of the hour. It's our one hard break. Can we keep you one more segment?
2: Sure you can. I'm enjoying enjoying the conversation.
1: Yeah, I mean, this trial was about constitutional deficiencies of the Dominion ballot marking devices and systems and other unconstitutional issues. We'll get back into it with Garland Favorito when we return.